0: We are in advent season we're starting the christmas season i was at the raise your hand if you were at the covington christmas parade anybody there weren't that many you were there of course you were you're always there you live there um i saw channing channing was like man we need a float here next year i was like we do we do and i'm pretty sure that all you need for a float is a trailer so i was thinking next year we just pull our church behind <laughs> willie's willie's truck That's what it is. Willie's going to pull our church, and we're all going to get in, and then we're going to roll down the windows, and we're just going to say, hop in. This is the church right here. Triple wide. Um, We're at the beginning of our Advent season, um, beginning today all the way to Christmas Eve, which we're uh, going to have. That should be in your seat. We will have a Christmas Eve service. So now, next week, the week after that, and of course Christmas Eve will be our four Sundays of Advent. We'll be looking at the first two chapters of the book of Luke. And we're going to be calling this the uh, Christmas in Luke, or the Theology of Christmas. Kind of strap in, though. Today, this morning, we're kind of doing some heavy theology. Uh, it's it's got to be heavy because we have to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? And Gabriel, the angel, as we're going to see in, in Luke chapter 1 this morning, gives us everything we need to understand who is this child. Um, and, and It's deep. And we want you to use your brains. You should use your head when you read the Bible. Why? Because you're to worship God and to love God with your heart, soul, and mind. Use your mind. Love God with your mind. Exercise your brain. You don't go to school or to work and then use it and then go to church and turn it off so I can get the good stuff in my heart and then go use it again. No. If God created your mind, you better use your mind when you're studying God. Uh, we're going to do that this morning. We always do that, but we're going to do it especially this morning. In the 11th century, and you like how this has started, don't you? A medieval theologian by the name of Anselm, he wrote a book with a Latin title called Cur Deus Homo, which means Why the God-Man? And essentially he was answering one question, trying to tackle one issue. Why did God become man? Why was it necessary that God become a human being? Why couldn't God have just forgiven me of my sins like I forgave my wife this week when she ate my entire bag of Oreos? Why couldn't I? Just, it's fine, whatever. Why couldn't God have just gratuitously just said, you know what? I forgive you. Why couldn't he do that? Why the whole gospel thing? Why the incarnation? Why be why should God become man? And this is his answer that he came up with. God became man in Jesus Christ because only God could pay an infinite debt and only a man could stand in our place to pay our penalty. That's why God became man. Jesus is the God-man. We often refer to him as that because he's fully God and fully man. He's not half God and half man. Jesus is not a blend of God and a blend of man. There, of course, he would neither be man nor God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Nothing less could purchase us and redeem us from our sins. In our passage this morning, we're going to read about how the angel declares to Mary the good news that God is coming into the world. He is a son of David, he is God's own son. And I want you to keep in mind this morning as we go, keep this in mind here this morning. Um, go Go to the next slide if you don't. Jesus did not become God. God became Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus did not become God. God became Jesus. God never became less than God. God added humanity to His deity. Stick that in your head. Because it's so important about the way you see Jesus Christ, who He is, what His mission is. Here's the gospel this morning, if I had to define it. God took on sinless humanity in order to substitute himself in our place, paying on the cross what we as sinners owed him under the law, his own law, and the law that we all have broken. That's why we're here. Jesus is our substitute. Only in the wisdom of God... Could Jesus Christ be both God and man? No one saw that coming, but God did. It was a part of the the wisdom of God and the plan that had been predestined from the beginning of time that Jesus Christ would come and that the son of David would be God's own son. That is the wisdom of God. No one could concoct it but God himself, and he sent his very own son to die in our place. That is the gospel and the good news of Christmas. So if you have your Bibles, you'll turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Or you can read it on our screen. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And once you've found it, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's Word. And Luke writes... And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, nothing is impossible with you. These things that we are reading this morning, they are hard to comprehend. But you are a great God. You are the Most High. Great is your power and your steadfast love and your faithfulness and your holiness and your goodness. Father, you are incomprehensible. And yet you did something that we could understand, that we could resonate with when you gave your only Son, so that we now can understand the great love that you have for the world, giving that which was most precious to you for our salvation. Father, show us the miracle of Christmas this morning by showing us who Jesus Christ is. Is and all these things we ask in your precious son's name, amen. <clears throat> here's what I'm trying to say this morning. If, if Abby fumbles, it here's what I was trying to say The good news of Christmas is that by God's wisdom and power and mercy, God, David's son, was also God's son, and Jesus, the God man, will reign for eternity, uniting God and his people forever. Christmas never gets old. And I'm not talking about the ornaments and the trees. I'm talking about the miracle of Christmas. That's why we're here. You can't take the word Christ out of Christmas. There are a lot of people who wish that we could, but there's a reason for that, and that's because the miracle of the God-man will never be solved. In some ways, we can tell, we can confess who Jesus is, but we'll never stop plumbing the depths of how awesome it is that God sent Jesus. Jesus Christ for our redemption. Have you ever noticed how seemingly every angel that shows up in the Bible, almost people are afraid? We, they look really good in a nativity scene. They look really good on a wall, but everyone's always scared of them, which leads me to think that the appearance of an angel is so astonishing and so powerful that it instills fear instantly in human beings. The sheer brilliance of angelic light is enough to frighten us. And we see that here in this passage. Gabriel has literally the best news in the world. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm not a bad guy. In fact, I've got the best news in the world. Here it is. Let's just read verses 28 through 30. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And Mary's going, Oh, good. What what, what is it? And then he has to tell her the greatest news, the the good news that we claim to be the gospel today. Mary is one favored woman. She has been chosen to be the mother of the Son of God. This is why Mary, in many parts of Christianity today, (coughs) especially in the Latin church, Mary is confessed to be the mother of God. Now, that sounds like heresy, but it's really not. Um, When people call Mary the mother of God, what they're doing is merely recognizing that Jesus Christ, her son, is also God's son. That's what God is telling Mary. My son will be your son. The son of God will be a son of man. Jaw-dropping. What in the world is Mary thinking? Well, we're getting ready to see that. She's very confused, but also astonished, very grateful, but also at peace. There's a reason Mary has been canonized in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, That's not good to worship Mary. Mary is not a mediator of any kind. But you can see in this passage that Mary is a very godly woman. She's at peace. And she shows herself to be a woman of faith, as we're going to see. But but how can this be? How can he be a, a man... How can he be your son, God, and how can he be a son of the Most High and also sit on the throne of David, also be the house of Jacob, and also be my son? How's that work? Well, let's read verses 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's begin with what we know. He will be the son of the Most High. He will be a son of David, fulfilling 2 Samuel 7. He will reign over the house of Jacob. He will be God's son and David's son. He will be fully God and fully man. This is the doctrine of the Incarnation. If you've ever heard of that word, it's not a Catholic-y word, as I've heard it described. It's Latin, carne, meaning to, meaning flesh. God in flesh, God takes flesh. God incarnates himself. The incarnation just means God took flesh. There's a fancy theological term for this. I wish Robbie Schrader were here. He, he appreciates all my lengthy theologisms. Uh, here's, the, here's the fancy term. The hypostatic union. None of you are going to remember that. But you don't have to. It's just hypostasis is Greek for nature. Here's what you do need to remember. Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. He's not two people. He's not a schizophrenic. He uh, doesn't have a human side and a good side. He doesn't have a, a divine side. He, he's not half God, half human. He's not Hercules. Some people think that. Like he's, just a, he's a little bit better than normal humans, but not quite the father. No, 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 no. What does Gabriel say? He will be a son of the Most High, and he will be a son of David. <clears throat> That's what Gabriel's saying. There's a very dangerous heresy right now Uh, with prosperity preachers like, like Paula White and with Kenneth Copeland and other people, they'll say that Jesus was the son of God, but he wasn't God's only son. See, you can be God's son too. See, Jesus was really just a man who lived sinlessly, and therefore you and I can live just like him and attain sonhood. That's not how it works. Here's how the gospel works. Because God the Father gave his only son, we too can be sons and daughters of God, not by simply imitating Jesus or living a higher life, but by believing in Him for salvation and being found in Him. I am a son of God today, lowercase s. Why? Because I'm found in the son, uppercase s. It's very important. In verse 33, Gabriel says probably what is my favorite verse, maybe one of my favorite verses in Luke. Of His kingdom there will be no End. It doesn't have an end point. There's no limit. There is never a time where Jesus will not be king. Jesus will always reign. There will always be a throne and he will always be in it. Even though Jesus is human and as we know he died on the cross he was raised and he will never die. Why? Because he's fully God. That means Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Here's another way to put it right now. Present tense. We don't say Jesus was fully God and fully man. What do we say? Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus lives and reigns over all things today as the crucified and resurrected God man. If you thought if some if you know if you're kind of new to Christianity or you've just started coming to church and you kind of thought that all this was past tense, it's not. No. Jesus lives and you don't have to just sing it on Easter. Here's Colossians. Actually, uh, Franklin just read part of it. Colossians 1:17 through 19. And he's before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not some of God, not partiality of God, not half of God. All of God is in Christ. When Mary looks at this child, she's looking at the face of God. (coughs) On Christmas, we celebrate the fact that the God who made the universe became a human being. On Christmas, we confess that the Creator became a human. There are a lot of people in the world, if you go up to them, you'll you'll go... um, <clears throat> Do you think all the religions are the same? They'll go, yeah, pretty much the same. And you'll go, okay, so like we're all just kind of grasping at the God who's above the clouds, and uh, Hindus kind of have this part, and Christianity has this part, and Muslims kind of see this. And you'll ask them, you'll go, so we're all kind of looking at the same God, just getting different parts. And they'll go, yeah, that's kind of what I think. And what Christianity says is, what if I told you that the God who was above the clouds came down? He became one of us. That you don't have to go up. He came here. I think there are a lot of people today who we'd rather argue with and you just share the gospel with them. They'll go, really? Yeah. No other religion claims we're all grasping at truth. No, God says you don't have to grasp at truth any longer. The truth will come to you. I was just, we were talking about in our in our small group. The book of Proverbs. <coughs> never really defines wisdom it doesn't give you a textbook answer it tells you the beginning of wisdom it tells you what wisdom does it tells you what wisdom looks like but it doesn't ever actually define wisdom and that's because by the time Jesus Christ come God says wisdom is a guy here he is my son that's why we say here's here's something else we said Sent, not created. We confess that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. We do not confess that God created His Son, Jesus Christ. The Incarnation is the eternal Son of God took on flesh. This is what our soul needs. It's what Mary's soul needs. It's what every soul needs is Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, as usual, has a fantastic quote, and here it is. I know your salvation depends on the whole trinity. But yet the first and immediate object of a sinner's justifying faith is neither God the Father nor God the Holy Ghost, but God the Son, incarnate in human flesh, and offering atonement for sinners. And here's the Old English here. Hast thou the eye of faith? Then so look thou to Christ as God. If thou wouldst be saved, believe him to be God over all, blessed forever. Jesus Christ was born to die and then to be raised. And like. And when we look at Jesus Christ, we understand that he will never die because he is God. Jesus Christ isn't just king of Israel. He's not just king of the world. He's not just king of the universe. Jesus Christ came to live and to die and to be raised so that he could be king over every square inch of your life. He's king over my marriage. He's king over my job. He's king over my budget. But those are kind of big things. I'm talking like small things. Jesus Christ is king over how much I tip my waiter or my waitress. Don't you dare go to church and then come back to a restaurant and give skimpy tips. (laughs) Don't do it. Why do you do it? Hey, I'm going to get my Jesus and then I'm going to, yeah, I'll give you some. And I'm going to go do my Jesus thing and talk about love. No. If Jesus is king, that means you don't go out to a restaurant and then kind of just stingily just give them a dollar and then go off and do your Jesus thing. No, Jesus Christ is Lord over our money. This means Jesus Christ is king over the way I drive. I don't know why I'm doing that but I am. <laughs> that means you can't, you can't have road rage and then claim Jesus is your Lord. You can't just you can't berate people from behind and, and, and think that Jesus doesn't see that. Jesus Christ is the king over the way we watch sports. Oh, I'm hurting now. (laughs) You can't just hate and spew your disdain on coaches and players like it's okay because everyone does it. You're not just any fan, Jesus is your king. You don't turn off the kingship and your servanthood when you click on the game. You can't, I can go on and on. Jesus is king over Facebook. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going now. I'm just kidding. Jesus is King, offline and on. Jesus is Lord, say it with me, of all. Jesus Christ is King over every square inch of my life. And let me tell you, I ain't, I ain't preaching down, I'm preaching too. The world wants to have Jesus over here. Tucked him away. King Jesus, look at King Jesus. Good, good for him. And then I want to have my life over here. But but Gabriel says, no, 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 no. This child, his kingdom will have no end and you owe him your allegiance, Mary. Christianity is kind of a math equation I came up with. It's not Jesus plus your life. Christianity is Jesus is your life. Christianity is not about adding Jesus. It's about surrendering every aspect of our lives to the King. There's so much for Mary to absorb here, and she can hardly take it in, and who knows everything she's thinking. But here's what she says, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, I'm the servant, you're the King. Let thy will be done. Can you think about how how pleasing it would be to God to handle adversity and difficult news and to respond to anything that life brings to us and that God gives us if we just responded like Mary? Mary? Disease, death, division, pain, suffering, persecution. I am a servant. God, you are the king. Let thy will be done. I have no reason to question you. I know that you are good. I know that your plans are for me. I know that you're not against me. I know we're on the same team. And I know that your plans are better than anything I could have for myself. Let your will be done and not mine. Go, Mary. And I love how from the very beginning in the Gospels, the very beginning of the New Testament, we see the Trinity, verses 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There he is. You would have missed him. See, the Spirit doesn't want to be seen. He's, of, all the, of all the Godhead of the three persons of the Trinity, the, the Spirit is kind of shy. He doesn't want to be seen. What does he want to do? He wants to exalt who? The Son. So everything we see the, sun, the Spirit doing is to let the Son be known. You can see you, if you were just skipping through, you'd miss him. And here he is. Then you read it, and the, the Spirit's like, no. But they're there. All three persons of the Godhead are there. God the Father sends the Son. The Son is born of the world. The Spirit conceives the Son. The angels declare the good news. God is introducing His Son into the world with the full power of heaven. Power of the Most High. Bill Clinton came to my hometown when I was in fourth grade. And it was a big thing because, I mean, who in the world comes to Owensboro, Kentucky? And uh, the only thing I remember him doing is he stopped at Moonlight Barbecue because that's the only thing you can do in Owensboro of any significance. And he came, I forgot why he came. But everybody lined the road, man. Everybody was ready for ready for Bill, ready for the president. This was before everything else. <coughs> I don't know if it was or not. Um, but I remember as a, as a, what am I, fourth grade, 10, 11? I remember... Just watching the motorcade, light after light after light, car after car after car, studded bulletproof tank-looking SUV after another, and and everybody kind of going, what is at the end of this thing? I, I thought I thought Bill Clinton's going to be at the very back, just you know, like he was in a parade. I, I, I think it was the, the point, as I understood it, fourth. As I end up understanding was that you didn't really know which one he was in. But I remember thinking, I don't know if anyone this important has ever been in my town. And when Jesus arrives in the world, it's the very same concept. The Father is there, the Son is there, the spirit is there, the angels are there, the heavenly host are there. The kings are coming! This small child named Jesus has more heavenly firepower accompanying him than any person in the history of mankind. And what Gabriel wants Mary to know is, this one, this one's the one. The one at the end of this motorcade, there won't be another after him, because his kingdom will have no end. Christmas is about announcing the king is here. We should never waver. We should never relent to that message because the the message of Zechariah 9 is the message of Luke chapter 1, and that is the king will conquer. And the king is God's own son. This morning we need to remember that Christmas is about announcing the king. We owe this king our worship. We owe him our allegiance. We owe him our lives. Jesus isn't just Savior who saves us and then heads out. He's a Savior who saves us to his heavenly kingdom where we worship God in heaven forever. Conversion isn't just Inviting someone to church to be in part of a new group. This is a group of people who claim the same king. And this morning, we're reminded in Luke 1 that this king is both God and man. Can you imagine that the king we worship is going to look like us? But he's not all like us. This king is worthy of our worship. And so I invite anyone this morning who has not bowed at the feet of Christ to please come and do so for their salvation. Let's pray. Father, you are Lord of all, and Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand, not because he is less than you, but because he is one with you. father he understands us he understands our pain and our in our and our suffering because he suffered not as less than human not as more than human but as fully human he can empathize with our weaknesses but yet father Jesus Christ is not like us at the same time he is god forevermore father i pray this morning that we can come back to the idea that this king in his kingdom, it never diminishes, it never ends. There is no end to his kingship. And Father, we will worship Jesus forever, knowing that he will always be on the throne. David's throne, the house of Jacob, and the son of the Most High. And all these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.